0: Acts 17 verse 1 says this, "...now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying... This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. goes on to say the Jews were jealous, taking wicked men and creating a mob and causing a riot. And uh, what's interesting is what they said as they began to riot against Jason, the head of the synagogue there. They said, these men who have These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, isn't that something? The reputation of Paul and Silas coming into that city of Thessalonica, their reputation is these are those men who turned not our city, not our region, but the world upside down. How did they turn a world upside down? With a message. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That went contrary to the common declaration everybody was to make once a year that Caesar is Lord. If you're a Roman citizen and you live in Rome, you were once a year called to make the declaration that Caesar is Lord. But someone else came along and said, uh-uh, no way, no how. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. And it radically changed the city. Now, something happened here in Thessalonica. They had a window of opportunity to preach. And it says they preached three Sabbath days. What day is the Sabbath? Saturday. So if you're there for three Sabbaths, how many days are you there? Three weeks. Very good. All right. So I want you to understand what happened in three weeks. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Paul, Silas are there preaching for three weeks. They go to the synagogues on Saturday. They preach throughout the week. Paul works as a tent maker there so that he doesn't have to take any money from anybody. And in that time, for three weeks, they're ministering the gospel, this radical message that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah and Savior of the world. And in three weeks, a church is birthed. Three weeks. How does that happen? They didn't have billboards, mass media. They didn't have money. Didn't have a TV program or a radio program. They did they have a maybe they had a a wagon that they painted on the side, Jesus is Lord, and Silas would yell out the back, and they had pamphlets. Maybe every restaurant they went to they left a track. How did this happen? How do you birth a church in three weeks? Well, our clue comes from the letter that Paul wrote to Thessalonica. You see, a riot broke out and they literally had to flee for their lives. Silas and Paul left in the middle of the night so that they would not get beaten again. And so as they left, they went on. But Paul had a burning and a yearning for the people at Thessalonica. What happened to that church? So he sent Timothy back to see them. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Paul... Silvanus and timothy to the church of the thessalonians in god the father and the lord jesus christ grace to you and peace we give thanks to you we give thanks to god always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering before god our father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our lord jesus christ for we know brothers of the Holy Spirit, you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So what he says is this, we know that you're our brothers and we know you're loved by God and that he has chosen you or called you because our gospel came to you, not only in word and in spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said that when he comes to preach, he doesn't come with eloquence of words, but with the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And so he's preaching the word of God, which is the prophetic word of the Old Testament of what Messiah uh, must do, what he will accomplish, and who he is. He preaches the word that brings conviction to us, but it is demonstrated by the power of the Holy Spirit. But here is the key that makes the difference and would cause such revival and cause such an impact into a city that birthed the church within three weeks but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with the third element, full conviction. Full conviction. Conviction lacking nothing. Now, when you do a word study on this, you have to ask yourself, does that mean that Paul was preaching with full conviction? It was Paul's preaching that did it. And uh, I would imagine Paul always preached with full conviction wouldn't you? That wouldn't be out of the ordinary for Paul. Paul gave his life to preaching. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was slashed. He was stoned. He was all sorts of things. Paul had full conviction in his preaching. He preached all night. One guy fell out of the window and so forth. He went down, raised him up, and continued the prayer meeting. I mean, this guy's got conviction. So it really does not apply to Paul. The difference was the conviction of those who heard it. There is the word being delivered, there's the manifestation of the spirit moving, but the key here to anything happening among the people is their conviction over what they heard. They were instantly pierced in their heart, they had a full conviction to believe, and they were fully persuaded in the word that was delivered to them. How many of you remember this verse from Romans chapter 4, verse 21, and it says this concerning Abraham? He was fully persuaded that God was able to perform what he had promised. The Thessalonians received the word and the demonstration of the Spirit with such conviction, they instantly banded together and became a body in Christ in three weeks. Timothy goes back to give a report to Paul as to how the church is doing because instantly it was birthed in persecution. Those who accepted it in the synagogue were dragged out into the streets and beaten. And those mobs came out and rejected this message, but it formed a group immediately. And Timothy's good report is that they're being known throughout all of Achaia and uh, uh, where else did we say? Macedonia. Macedonia. That's the heck of a church, wouldn't you say? Full conviction. And I believe that God is calling His body, His people, to a place of full conviction. It's time for the church to be fully persuaded that God is who He says He is. This Word will do what it says it'll do. All the promises are yes and amen. And we've got to stop uh, standing between two Choices and either say, Yes, He is Lord, Yes, He'll do what He says, or forget about it. Yeah. Let's be fully convicted, fully convinced, fully persuaded. When you look up the Greek word, I'm not even going to begin to try to pronounce it pleoforio. Okay, I did. Not bad. It means full assurance, most certain confidence absolutely convinced completely persuaded are you completely persuaded that jesus christ is lord let you know what let's back up are you fully persuaded that there is a god because i mean that's the big debate in our society today even if there is a god or not right how many christians are are even failing in passing that test Is there a God? Are you fully persuaded that God so loved the world, His Word became flesh, He sent the Son to save us from our sin? Do you believe that? Do you? Well, if you do, that should cause a change round about us. And if we truly believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross to cleanse us from our sins, then do you believe that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, came to dwell in you? And if you believe that, then you should believe that that same power that raised Christ from the dead will quicken or make alive your life, your faith, to impact your community. Amen? If the church is fully persuaded of that, we should be on fire and changing things, healing, delivering lives. Would you agree? And I believe that's where God is bringing His church. There's been a sifting in the church nationally to cause a division in the house of God to separate those who are on the fence, who are not fully persuaded, who don't believe, either to fully believe or move on. And so God is turning up the fire of what the church is. It means to compl- a complete certainty. Now I know that we're going to have questions. I can have questions and be completely certain that Jesus is Lord of my life, King of all. I can know that he's my healer, but I have questions as to why certain things are happening. That's not a problem for me. That doesn't doubt his existence. I can have questions. I've had questions about why my father made choices for me when I was a kid but I trusted my dad was caring for me, right? You understand what I'm saying? I can have questions as to why my parents chose to do this and chose to do that, but I never doubted whether they were my parents or not. I can have questions to God, but I'm fully persuaded He's God and He knows what He's doing. So, I'm in a working relationship with the Lord and He gives me that opportunity to ask so that I would be fully persuaded in His wisdom. And in his knowledge to fully convince someone. Now, here's the thing now that you're fully persuaded, have you developed your faith and your understanding and your ability to fully persuade somebody else? And this is where we stop short. Well, I don't know if I have enough theology, I don't know if I have enough explanation. Do you have a testimony? Do you know the love of God? Then persuade someone as to what God did for you, he can do for them. It is that simple. You have to simply introduce Jesus. Let him take care of the rest. Amen? I, I, I can't explain to you how the engine in my car works, but I can give you the keys and you can take it for a ride. Right? That's what you just need to do. Just introduce these people to the one who is more marvelous than you, who is beyond your comprehension, who is incomprehensible, who is wonderful, who is full of love, who will reach into their lives and touch them and take them out of their despair and depression and just introduce them and let him take over. Have some confidence in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So are you fully persuaded that God loves the lost and that God can save the lost? We must be a people fully convinced, fully persuaded. And this is what happened. Full conviction is the key, I believe, to what is next going to take place in the church. We understand. We've learned the Word of God. We're studying the Word of God. So much more to learn, but we know how to rightly divide it. We're studying it. We've been practicing the ministry of the Holy Spirit, walking in Him and demonstrating Him, praying for the sick. But what we need now is to be fully convicted and convinced and persuaded that this is what is necessary for everyone out there. Not just for me, but for everyone I come in contact with. And that kind of preaching is what turned Thessalonians, the Thessalonican church, upside down and birthed a church in three weeks. Do you think we could birth a church in three weeks? Then let's try it. Shall we? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. It's going to take people who are fully convicted, fully persuaded, fully convinced. You know, it's interesting. I was having this conversation the other day with someone about it. And when you look at Jonathan Edwards and the uh, great revival that he brought in in the 1700s, obviously God poured it out. But you know the famous sermon, and that is sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? I mean, it changed America with the First Great Awakening. And what's interesting is he preached that sermon in his own church. And guess what the result was? Zippo. Nothing. And uh, so uh, a couple weeks later, he was invited to another church, and uh, so he pulled out his sermon from his handbag that he had written out. And when he got to that church, he had begun reading it, and he read the sermon, and simply read it from his page. And as he began to describe Edwards as famous for his analogies and word pictures that just grabbed the heart, and as he's reading it, people begin falling out of the pews, clutching onto the pillars. They're shaken with such a conviction over what they heard. The word was being spoken, the spirit was moving, but the difference was the conviction of the people hearing it. And I have to ask you, will you have a conviction when you hear the word and see the move of the spirit to respond? When we begin to sing, I couldn't help but begin weeping while I'm reading these words about Jesus and the people, all of us are beginning to sing. And the conviction of believing this is powerful, it's powerful. This is what is causing movements in our society to change our laws and change our culture for certain groups that are moving in and altering uh, so many things because of their conviction of beliefs. And as the church, we've grown cold in our convictions. Charles Finney developed the concept of the sinner's bench when he would preach because Uh, Finney understood, he came from a Reformed background, but he understood that he needed to create a crisis of decision. He knew he had to create a conviction that demanded a response when he preached the Word and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit was in their midst. He would not allow anyone to go beyond making a critical decision as to what they've heard and what they've experienced. And he would call them to the mourner's bench. And that's where we developed the concept of the altar call for salvation. And the reasoning behind it was to bring people to a full conviction of what they heard. And some criticize that saying, well, that's just an emotional decision or this or that. You make decisions based on how well you've been persuaded and the conviction you believe behind it. And yes, your emotions are involved in that as well. So is your reasoning and so is everything else. And So I believe in the end that this is what God is doing for us as a church. And I conclude with this, how long will you waver between two opinions? Elijah asked that of Israel while they were deciding, should they worship Baal or worship Yahweh? And after fire came down from heaven, consumed the altar, and made a sham of the uh, prophets of Baal, he asked the question, how long? How long are you going to waver? stumble between two opinions and that's the question of the church god needs a fully convicted fully persuaded people to go out there and fully persuade the lost that's the only thing that's going to do it his word in your mouth the unction of his spirit is here and now let's burn for jesus says halted between two opinions the hebrew there when he says waver between it means that you're limping with one bad leg you're literally going like this in a circle as you look at the map you are here i don't know if that's you or not but when you falter between two opinions you just are in a circular thought you cannot choose should i go this way or that way and elijah's saying come on people You must be fully persuaded, and I believe that this is the year that when you pray, you are fully convicted, fully convinced that what I'm praying for is going to change my life. It's going to change someone else's life. It's going to change our society. I'm convinced that when I go speak to someone, what I have to say is going to stay in them because it's an imperishable seed, and it will not return void, and it's going to do something to them. My prayers are going to be effective and fervent. My actions are going to be effective and fervent. And I'm going to see the lost saved and I'm going to see the prodigals return because I'm not halted between two opinions. I know whom I serve and who my God is. I trust His Word. I'm fully persuaded and I'm going to act like it too. You with me? Stand with me then and let us worship our Lord and our Savior. Father God we are fully persuaded today and persuaded that You are Lord of our lives and King of kings. Use us to be, Lord God, the people of God You've called us to be. Amen.